and five. Four, three, two, one. Hey, podcast family. Welcome to Motherhood in Black and White. My name is Kanji. I'm Tara. This week's episode, Tara and I are going to be talking about the sandwich generation. Growing up, Tara, I hated sandwiches. I loved sandwiches. See, I love this podcast because we talk about things that we have in common. <laughs> the, and the differences. And the differences. So yes. here is my story about sandwiches okay. growing up. When I was growing up, my mother used to make tuna fish sandwiches almost every single day and put it in my lunchbox. And back then we had those cute lunchboxes. I'm sure you may have had a Wonder Woman lunchbox, but it was a <laughs> lunchbox with a thermos and every day my mother made a tuna fish sandwich for me. Mm-hmm. And every day when I got to school, I promptly threw it away in the garbage <laughs> you can. didn't even try. You didn't Never pretend. tried it. <laughs> didn't like sandwiches. Uh-huh. Hated them. Some days she would make turkey sandwiches. But I didn't like the sandwich feel. Like, I didn't like the bread with the meat and sometimes mayonnaise. Huh. Well, she never used mayonnaise. She used Miracle Whip. See, this is a distinction we've discussed before. Mm. Because uh, Gage talked about liking the mayo on his burgers. And I had to go, actually, it's Miracle Whip. It's yes. not mayonnaise. <laughs> so you, like my mother, would probably put Miracle Whip on everything. Correct, yes. So I've never liked sandwiches. But you... Like sandwiches and still eat them today. Oh, I love sandwiches. Sandwiches are one of my, I'm like Joey on Friends. Sandwiches are one of my favorites, <laughs> much to the chagrin of my husband who thinks they're kind of boring, but I I love a good sandwich. See, I'm going to ride with Jason, your husband, on this one. <laughs> Get the meat and some vegetables and some good bread. Oh, you just can't beat a good sandwich. Well, it's interesting that we as Gen Xers grew up with sandwiches and have taken these turns. Sometimes we like them, sometimes we don't. But in the realm of parenting, some of us have no choice but to be a part of what has been coined as the sandwich generation. And listeners, some of you may be a part of the sandwich generation. About 10 years ago, the phrase was coined to refer to women who are parenting children under the age of 18 at the same time as taking care of aging parents over the age of 65. And the statistic is that more than one in 10 parents right now currently have a child under the age of 18 that they are caring for, as well as caring for an aging parent. So in this episode, we're going to talk about being the sandwich generation, how it feels, some of the concerns we have, and also potentially some of the benefits. So Tara, I am actually joining the sandwich generation. Really? Yes, in the next couple of weeks. As we know, Mm -hmm. um, my son Roman is 12, Mm -hmm. and we are at the point where my mother is retiring, and she is relocating to the Dallas suburb where we live to be closer to us. And realizing that I'm getting to the point where lucky, that we don't really have to provide much financial support for my mother at this point in her life. But we are going to be providing more physical, emotional support and knowing that it's not gonna get any easier or any better as my mother gets older. And this is the first time I'm starting to look down that path and to see what that looks like. 
That's a lot to take on. I mean, of course, I can't wait to meet your mother. So I'm very excited she's moving here. Tara, you <laughs> you are a sycophant with my husband. You're a sycophant with my mama. That's fine, though. She will love you. You are the daughter she never had. <laughs> I doubt that's true. <laughs> um, you know, my mom lives here. She Well, she lives in Fort Worth, so not super close, but still in town, as it were. And... She's over 60. And I will tell you, we don't, you know, support her financially. We do support her in some other ways, you know, just making sure she's taken care of and checking in on her. But about six years ago, she had a really bad scare with her health that put her in the hospital for over a week. And there was some surgery and some rehab. um, And my brother and I were, you know, really facing that down. Like we weren't sure at one point what was going to happen. So, you know, I can really relate to that. You know, I was having to drop my kid off at school and then drive over to Fort Worth every day. And then he and I were tag teaming and he had two little ones at home. And so it was a lot. And in the middle of it, when we weren't sure what it was going to look like, you know, that's a, that's a big thing to take on. And we are in these positions now where we as mothers are increasingly caring more of the load. We've talked before about the mental load of motherhood. We did a full episode on that with our friend, uh, Julia Dennison. Mm -hmm. But now there's even more strain. There's more stress because we're worried about one side of the sandwich, the bread being our young kids and their emotional and financial well-being. But then also we're talking about aging parents. Mm -hmm. And this is becoming more of an epidemic in society for a couple of reasons. The first is that people are living longer. The statistic now is that children born in the year 2020, um, more than 50% of them will see the age of 100. Really? Yes. So now the average life expectancy for adults is, I think it's 79, but that also takes into consideration childhood deaths, teenage deaths, young adult deaths. Okay. So the statistic is that if you live to see the age of 65, the chances of you living to be 90 are incredibly high. So we're looking at people that are retiring in their 60s. Right. With the pandemic. 25 years left. 25 or 30 years left. Wow. Yeah. And with the pandemic, a lot of folks who left the workforce maybe in their 50s or early 60s. Retired early. Retired early. Um, And so we start to look and say, who is going to start caring for the the aging population? Mm -hmm. Because we do have this increasing aging population. In addition to calling it the sandwich generation, we have what's called the double sandwich generation now that is... um, a group of people, mostly women, as we know, (laughs) women who are (laughs) caring for parents who are in their 80s and 90s, and also for grandkids. And my mother actually is a double sandwich because her mom is 88. Ooh, I'm going to get in trouble by telling my Medea's age. (laughs) I'm going to get in so much trouble on this episode. We have to edit this one. (laughs) Yeah. But my mother has also cared for her grandkids. We wonder like, well, when does it end? Mm -hmm. We know that parenthood and motherhood doesn't end just because our kids hit the magic age of 18. But we're also dealing with the fact that we are now caring for aging parents. Yeah. And how do we do that? And what does it look like? Um, So I'm curious, well, what are some of the things that you think you can do or you have done to prepare for the eventuality of maybe you and your brother taking care of your mom as she gets older? 
You know, he and I have talked about it quite a bit. And she's still doing great. You know, she, her husband passed away a couple years ago. So we started talking about it again. Like, hey, who's going to go check out, you know, just mm-hmm. making sure she's taken care of. But honestly, she's doing a really great. She's working and, um, you know, we touch base pretty regularly and kind of discuss it ourselves. And we've, we've discussed some backup plans, kind of what you've been talking about, you know, if it came down to it, helping with, you know, an apartment near one of us, splitting expenses, who could cover what, you know, we've talked a little bit about that. Um, We're we're terrible. We haven't like made formal plans. Mm -hmm. We're really just kind of, I don't know what the word um, we are in denial. Yes. In (laughs) denial, but also just sorting it out in a hypo, very hypothetical kind of way. Cause she's early sixties and doing pretty well. So I think we are both kind of like, well, we probably got some time. (laughs) What are your thoughts on the idea that now is the time? And, you know, there's a reason why life insurance policies are really inexpensive when people are younger, because a people don't ever think that they're going to need them or really die. So it's like, oh, buy a life insurance policy now. Um, But then when people start getting older, and you want to buy one, it's hard because people are like, oh, I'm getting near to death. I wonder why people don't make plans a little bit earlier when everyone is in good health and of sound mind and body and saying, well, this is what it's going to look like. And I'm questioning this because it's something that we have a problem with. My mother, I think it was last year, two years ago, I finally got her to execute a power of attorney and really had to sit her down and have a conversation with her. Like what's going to happen to you if you are not able to make these decisions? Mm-hmm. And it was a hard conversation. It was a challenging conversation because no one wants to face their own mortality. No one wants to face their parents' mortality. But the time to do it is when everyone is healthy and everyone is able to make some decisions because, God forbid, there may be a time when it might be sudden, it might not be, but those decisions will be out of our hands. And so for us to have made the decision and to have had my mother sign power of attorney and to and to have these discussions before um, it got to be, quote unquote, too late mm-hmm. was the best decision for us. Well, and you've already said a couple of things that I wasn't even thinking about. And I know better, obviously, for myself, I think about those things, but I have not considered them as far as my you know, life insurance, power of attorney, going through estate information. I mean, that's all very straightforward and we haven't even dug that deep. We're both just like, where are we going to put her? <laughs> Who's going to pay for it? Like, yeah. you know, so um, we probably do need to sit down and come up with a better plan. It's challenging. It's difficult um, because we we don't want to see our parents that way. Yeah. And a lot of the reasons why we don't want to see our parents that way is then we got to look in the mirror and think about us being that way. But doesn't, you know what it really makes me nervous about it, and I even start thinking about it more, is the fact that Gage is an only child. Girl, girl yes. I was just about to <laughs> right? say that. We put all our eggs and in I'm one basket. And I'm just like, well, yes, we did. <laughs> Bless his heart. <laughs> Poor guy. But I also think about, like, I would not want to leave him on his own having to deal with a bunch of uh, paperwork and all of the, the way I'm feeling now about taking care of my mother. I don't want him to feel like that and be by himself, you mm-hmm. know, be the only one making decisions. So it just also makes me think about how I need to 
also get our affairs in order for Gage. So a lot of people I grew up with, um, some of my aunts and uncles and my mom and their friends always thought that you don't talk about death and you don't do a will because then you're going to (laughs) die. I bet a lot of people feel like that. Yeah, like that it's digging into it. It just Mm -hmm. like, I mean, it does feel morbid. But it's necessary. It's necessary. And it starts to set you and your family up for success. Yeah. So what I would encourage any mother who or parent who is dealing with aging parents or approaching a situation where you think your parents are going to be getting up there, just to start to have those conversations with them, to start to put affairs in order. And it's easier when it's kind of early, right? Mm-hmm. When you can really have time to walk through and think about and figure it out. Because when it gets to a point where it's necessary and emotions are kind of running high, mm-hmm. that's when people either make bad decisions or I used to call it when, when Rome was younger, sad choices. Sad choices. <laughs> people make sad choices. Um, and we just don't want that to happen. So we're lucky that my mom will be moving here and she will be living in an active community. Oh, but Terry, you'll appreciate this. I'm going to share my story about my mom. We were looking at uh, apartments for her to move into. Of course, her son-in-law was like, she should move in with us. And I was like, "Mm." (laughs) a little bit of separation, a little bit, a little bit. But um, just so my mom, if she's listening, knows her son-in-law was advocating for her to live real close. <laughs> also because he's never lived with her. But when we were looking at apartments, uh, the active community is 55 plus. Okay. And my mother's a little older than that. And she just did not want, she's like, I'm not going to live with all of those old people. Uh, <laughs> I'm like, uh, I think you're right there in the age demographic. <laughs> But but it's recognizing that you have more years behind you than in front of you. Right. And so she was asking about living in a, a regular apartment building. And she said to me, she said, well, you know what? I could just live in a multi-generational apartment building with all of those Gen Xers and Gen Zers and millennials. <laughs> and I'll just get used to the smell of pot and marijuana. <laughs> she knows she's moving to Texas, right? We don't... I mean, you know, <laughs> I was like, mom, have you stereotyped much? You're just going <laughs> to say that everybody lives in apartment buildings, That's smokes so weed. so funny. Everybody under 55 mm-hmm. lives I, in apartment buildings and smokes weed. I said, don't be surprised if you get in an active community and Is they get that, turned up. I mean, they got that glaucoma. <laughs> I mean, you know what I'm saying? So we so we want to make sure we get in situations where we take care of our parents, Mm -hmm. but not to the detriment of our kids. And again, we call it the sandwich generation because we're looking um, at providing for our parents, either emotionally, financially, Mm -hmm. even physically. And we have a lot of people that are living in multi-generational homes. And then we're looking at our own state of affairs where we're trying to save for our retirement. and then we're looking at our kids and we're taking care of them day to day and then trying to beef up their college funds. And it just seems like sometimes we can get stuck. It just seems as though we are pulled in so many different directions. So where do we turn? How yeah. do you prioritize it? Yeah. You know, um, and what do you do? And one thing that I choose to do is I focus on the good. For me, the good news is that my mother will be close to her grandson yeah, and to share that time with them growing up. Because a lot of us 
in the last 30 years, we've just spread out across the country. Yeah. And that has not been something that we've had the experience with is um, multi-generational living. And so I'm like, what would it feel like? What, what's going to happen when his grandmother is able to either drive him to school or pick him up from school or cook dinner in the evenings and put sandwiches in his lunchbox, right? <laughs> that he could throw away at school. You're telling me I have to give up salmon. <laughs> Sorry, it's sandwich time now. No, he. And I was like, we're going to start the next generation where – he can start throwing sandwiches away just like his <laughs> just mother, like did. mother did. Um, but that's what I see as the biggest benefit of um, having grandparents close by. Yeah. And having that ability for them to share their stories and their wisdom. And again, with my mother's age and thank goodness she's in good health. She might live for another 20 or 30 years, God willing. Um, clearly not in my house, but nearby. <laughs> very close. Just very close. A little separation. For me, the good part is, I mean, we've always liked having my mom nearby close enough that she could come visit or she spent a lot of time with Gage when he was a baby. She helped us out a lot mm-hmm. when um, we first had Gage. Uh, but one of the things that's been different since her health scare and since her husband passed is I'm definitely more vigilant about checking in on her, mm-hmm. you know, touching base. I'm better about that than I was before. But I'm also seeing her kind of blossom like in these 60s, like she's working full time for, you know, she always sort of worked in the business with my with her husband. And so now she's kind of out there on her own doing her own thing. And one of the fun parts about it is that I always were really worried about her a lot. But now I'm kind of watching her just continue to thrive and do well. So it's been really fun to see her sort of blossom in this time. And uh, I feel like we're getting to know each other a little bit better. So it's been nice. Mm. What are your thoughts on um, assisted living facilities for aging parents? Is that something you and your brother would consider for your mother? For sure. Really? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, some of She still has some small issues after her health care a few years ago that she just needs to be living either with somebody or have someone checking on her pretty regularly because she has trouble with falling and some issues like that. So even now she typically lives in a home that she shares with a friend and then family on another side of town when she stays there. So she's usually got somebody close by and she would need that. She would for sure need that. Potentially a cultural difference is with the way that black Americans have historically viewed assisted living facilities and retirement homes with a negative light, like really, oh, a hundred percent, Tara. A lot of um, black people that I know and family members really believe that you do not ever put your family members in a home ever. Is it a fear of mistreatment, or is it like shame for not taking care of your own family? I know. I think it's both. Okay, I think it's that you always take care of your family. Your family, mm-hmm. yeah, and. And, and then there are situations, my grandmother, my maternal grandmother is in her late 80s. My paternal grandmother is in her 90s. Mm-hmm. I just got some Ancestry.com results from my father's side of the family. Listen to this. So my great-great-grandfather, who was Irish, which is why I'm going to be celebrating St. Patrick's Day. Always. Here. Always, I mean, you know, yeah. Can't Can't, like, claim the Irish side of my family because clearly <laughs> I'm black. But we all have something in our, in our past. But my great-great-grandfather... James J. Irby was born in 1784 and he lived to the age of 97. Really? Yes. Wow. So he lived to the age of 97. His son lived to the age of 93. Mm-hmm. And then his daughter is 
my grandmother, she's 90. Wow. So they have these longevity in their genes, Mm -hmm. which hopefully I inherit. Yeah. Which is why I need to make sure that my life is set up so that Roman knows exactly kind of what it is that I want and what my wishes are as I get older. Right. So it's it's really clear and it's really helpful to have that in place and to have that roadmap. And I'm and I wonder if if any of our listeners are are also dealing with this issue of caring for their aging parents and not having a roadmap and and kind of hoping or wishing that they did. And if that's the case, um, what they're doing to protect themselves and their kids now to make sure that their kids don't experience that. Yeah, I I'm. I will say I've thought about it. I haven't been great about executing any plans, um, but we need to sit down and kind of come up with that. As you said, I don't know if I'm going like, to live forever like your family <laughs> is, but we definitely get into our 80s here on the Tolan side. So <clears throat> I feel like, you know, I was thinking about this the other day. My uncle, who's actually pretty young, was able to retire early just recently, like last week. And we were so excited for him. And, but then I was doing the math. I'm like, man, okay, if I'm able to somehow work it out so I can retire at, let's say 60, let's say I get really lucky and I can retire at 60. That's a lot of years, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know? And I don't want to ever be put in a position where something's not accounted for or Gage feels like he has to take care of me or he has to worry about how I'm doing. You know, I want him to be able to just live his life and check in on his mom from time to time. You know what I'm saying? So I definitely, I need to sit down and, and make some real plans around that. When you were talking earlier about having only kids, mm-hmm. one thing that so many of my friends had expressed to me when Roman was younger was, you need to have a daughter who will take care of you when you get older. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, I was like, well, why can't my son take care of me? And everyone would laugh, especially <laughs> pe- especially people with adult children. They would say, yeah, your son's not going to take care of you. And at first I kind of, let it go. And then when we got to the point where we realized Roman was going to be an only child, I was thinking, I'm like, as my mom started getting older, uh-huh. I said, oh, wow, this is why people say you need a, a girl, you need a daughter, because um, ultimately I, I have two brothers, but a lot of the decisions and a lot of the heavy lifting and a lot of that mental load just falls on me. Yeah. Um, and I wonder if that's your experience as well. No. So I was while you were talking, I was thinking how grateful I am for my brother, who is the youngest and the boy, and way better at taking care of my mom than me. Really? Yeah, way better. I mean, he calls me, we talk things out. And, you know, we'd kind of discuss what it might be. But he's much better at checking in. He's much better about going and checking on her. He's, he's way better than me. So I don't think that's always, it's probably more likely the case. So you need to make sure Roman marries well is what you need. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, in my experience, it's been my brother really that's just better at the, like when my mom was in the hospital, he was way better at the emotional support than me. Like I was good at talking to the doctors and sorting out the plan. And then Brad would come and give her the hugs and the the love. Mm. I'm a I'm a taskmaster, as it were, and he's the emotional support person. Mm. As it turns out, the balance. I love That's it. That's right. He is the mustard to your miracle whip. <laughs> That's right. You got to have both. <laughs> you got to have both or neither. <laughs> if you're kanji, yes, just no sandwiches. We wanted to talk about this episode during Mental Health Awareness Month. Yeah, because 
I think it adds a, another layer to the conversation. Mm-hmm. So often, some of the issues that we face with feeling overwhelm and feeling anxiety and feeling uncertainty are because of the things that we have going on in our lives. Mm-hmm. And so for anyone listening, if, if you feel as though you are struggling to kind of keep it all together and your sandwich is, um, I don't know, what do, what do you call it when the sandwich isn't good or the bread on your sandwich might be? The sandwich is soggy. <laughs> the sandwich is soggy. <laughs> it's holding too much. Yeah, it's holding, holding too, too much. much. I love that. If you feel that, take inventory and 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 really just step back and pause and find a way to make sure you understand that you cannot pour from an empty cup, that you need to make sure that you're okay before you take care of any child or adolescent or any parent because you're not going to be good to anyone if you can't stand up and take care of yourself first. I can't add anything to that. That's the perfect advice to wrap this up. What's your favorite sandwich? My favorite sandwich? Yes. Oh, um, hold on. Give me one moment, please. Okay, I'm going to give you a brand. Sandwiches have brands? Yeah, because you can order from different places. So. Oh, like that song, the Oscar Mayer song. <laughs> that's my sandwich, though. Isn't it, though? It's a, that's a hot dog. That song is a hot dog song. Oh, is it? Yeah, it's about a hot dog. Um, so my very favorite sandwich, there was this place in Irving that closed in the pandemic. It was very sad. They'd been there forever since my parents were kids in Irving. It was called Captain Nemo's. And they had this sandwich. It was called the original. And I can't even tell you what it was on, but it was like a hoagie roll with a bunch of different meat and cheese, lettuce, tomato, and then they do like a oil and vinegar. And it was the best sandwich on the planet. And they closed in December after COVID. COVID ruined everything. So do you make that sandwich at home? No, I can't. You can. It's impossible. It just sounds like you get bread. (laughs) (laughs) No, there's love. There's something extra in it. So I'll tell you a funny story. Jason, who I said earlier, he, my husband, he is not a big sandwich person. But when we first started dating, he was like, you eat sandwiches? I'm like, yeah, I just eat a sandwich. And then I made him a sandwich. And he was like, you know what? You make sandwiches really well. And so whenever he, he'll he go, will you go make me a sandwich? And I'm like, I feel like I'm getting played because he he'll make the joke like you put like extra love in it. It tastes better. And then Gage started doing that. So now I've been played. Apparently, I'm the best sandwich maker. You've been played. I've been played. I know. And every time I fall for it, I'm like, all right, I'll do it. If I could just compliment you to have you make me dinner, I would do the same thing. <laughs> that's, the way to, that's the way to get me to do things. Tell me I'm the best one. So like, Tara, I actually really love the way you drive. Can you please drive and buy me something from the store? <laughs> Your errands doing skills are phenomenal. Go run some errands. Everything you do is phenomenal. And um, podcast family, everything you do is phenomenal. As always, we thank you for for tuning in and listening as we are getting near the end of Mental Health Awareness Month here in May. Just a reminder, do a check. Check in with yourself. Check in with people around you. um, And check in with your loved ones. It's the theme of this month is you are not alone. Just remember you are not alone. And you always have Tara and I. We always got your back. Yep. Every week we've got your back. You know where to find us. 
Make sure that you're following us on Apple, Spotify, anywhere that you're listening to podcasts. We love having you with us each week. You are not alone. Welcome to the conversation. Come back. We've got more for you. Thanks. With that, we are going to sign off this week. Guard your health, mental, physical, and spiritual, and take good care.